going on, guys? Welcome back to the JGM show. It has been a while now, but we are back together, and things have gone off the rails since the uh, last time I've been on here. Um, you know, things are a lot different than what they were back in April. So uh, I apologize for not being there when, you know, you guys really needed me to be. But for the meantime, I'm here right now. So we are going to discuss the 2020 presidential debates. Now, uh, just got done uh, recapping uh, things that they said, things that were highlighted. I tried to highlight them on paper. And I got the facts for you guys. I will be fact-checking and verifying with credible sources. And I will um, also like to see how you thought the first day went. So please let me know. I already have some insight from other people about uh, how they perceived the debate last night. I will be breaking down the six categories that were discussed last night. I will give everyone's perspective. I will give you a narrow discussion about what I think about each viewpoint. And I will ask you guys about what you guys thought about the debates last night. And so we can get some different perspectives and we can analyze generally what people thought about the debates. First things first, the categories. They opened up with the Supreme Court and the recent nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Now, what is currently being a hot topic right now, of course, is whether or not Barrett can be nominated and secure the spot for the Supreme Court while in an election cycle. Because the same thing happened back in 2016 with the nomination of Merrick Garland. Except for Garland's case, she was nominated back in March, while Justice Barrett was nominated recently a couple weeks ago, while we're only about a month away from the election. The stance the Republicans had back in 2016 seems to have shifted to what it is currently now. In 2016, the idea was to wait until the election to fill the seat. We're pointing out the uh, Republican Party's hypocrisy from 2016 with the nomination of Merrick Garland. Here's a quote from Ted Cruz. Quote, It has been 80 years since a Supreme Court vacancy was nominated and confirmed in an election year. There is a long tradition that you do not do this in an election year. This should be a decision for the people. Let the election decide. If the Democrats want to replace this nominee, they need to win the election. Quote, 2016, Senator Ted Cruz. Now here's here's a statement from Senator Lindsey Graham in 2016. Quote, I strongly support giving the American people a voice in choosing the next Supreme Court nominee by electing a new president. I hope all Americans understand how important their voice, excuse me, their vote is when it comes to picking a new Supreme Court justice. Quote, 
if there's a Republican president and a vacancy occurs in this last year, you can say Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, whoever that may be, make that nomination. And you could use my words against me, and you'd be absolutely right. That was Senator Lindsey Graham in 2016. Some of the arguments for continuing with the the filling the vacancy for the Supreme Court seat, you know, it's it, it revolves around following what the Constitution, you know, deems necessary to fill the seat. Now, of course, that is with regards of this year's uh, election. Trump's stance on Justice Barrett is, you know, he claims that the Constitution is clear. He won the election, Senate, White House, and he was very clear that Justice Barrett is a good nominee. And he claimed last night that her biggest endorsers are liberals. And he seems to be very supportive of her. And he 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 simply claimed that Garland could not make it because Democrats were too slow back in 2016. Was Trump on Justice Garland and Justice Barrett? Now, of course, Biden went with the opposite and declared that the American people have a right to say who should be appointed to that lifetime position. He believes that the Senate election and the president, uh, presidential election should decide after all the ballots have been casted. Now, that was a very brief moment about the nomination and filling the seat in the Supreme Court. And then it just went on to talk about Obamacare. Now, Obamacare wasn't even a subject, or healthcare, in fact, was not a subject appointed by Chris Wallace. But Trump decided to jump in on Obamacare and attack it. Biden then went on to defend Obamacare by claiming that Trump getting rid of Obamacare would strip 20 million people of health insurance. And he claims that Barrett wants to strike down on Obamacare. While Justice Barrett has had her fair share of criticism on Obamacare, it isn't clear whether she clearly wants to strike it down or not. That has not really been a focal point of discussion for Justice Barrett. Then Trump makes a claim that Joe Biden, under the Obama administration, had 308,000 soldiers left with zero health care. And then he makes a questionable statement as early as it was about Biden's support of socialized health care. Now, let's be clear on this. Biden does not support a socialized health care. Biden supports reforming Obamacare. He does think there's some flaws to it, and he believes that he could fix it. And he does want to maintain private insurance. He said it himself. It's on his website. It has been verified that Joe Biden wants to keep private insurance.
and Trump striking down on Obamacare while also claiming to protect pre-existing conditions is questionable as well. It seems to be a uh, double contradiction because it was under Obamacare that pre-existing conditions was covered. Now, under this statement, Trump incorrectly claimed that there aren't 100 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. It is actually up to 129 million non-elderly Americans that have pre-existing conditions. So by striking out Obamacare, you are risking that many people's health care. Now, the way Trump claims that he has a health care plan, he hasn't been very thorough about what that is. He has claimed to have one for the past four years, but nobody has really seen what it is. He claims it's going to be the, quote, America First health care plan. However, there is not much documentation on what is going to be achieved, what is going to be different from Obamacare, and how it will be implemented and when it will be up for vote in Senate. While the topics didn't change, Biden jumped early on attacking Trump for his response to the coronavirus. And yet, coronavirus was going to be a topic of its own. So then Biden claims that Obamacare saved millions of lives from coronavirus. And while attacking Trump early on that topic, Biden wants to have a public option to Obamacare. And I believe that is what makes Trump and Republicans think that Joe Biden wants socialized health care. Socialized health care is a more left-wing idea than Joe Biden's current position. It is morally supported by AOC, Bernie Sanders, and they want to implement a system similar to the one in Europe, more specifically the Scandinavian region. The topic of whether that could function in the United States can be a podcast of its own, but we won't talk about that here just so I could save it for that time. Because I believe that we could really get in-depth into uh, processing whether the United States could afford a socialized health care. Because more and more Americans are starting to support that idea. So uh, we'll jump on that as soon as possible. So then Biden moves on and gives us a more uh, intricate kind of view of COVID. And just tells us straight up. 200,000 are dead. The U.S. has 4% of the world's population and over 20% of all COVID cases. He criticizes Trump for saying, quote, it is what it is. He says President Trump has no plan, either both economic recovery nor logistics for a vaccine. And he pulled up the Woodward tapes and criticized Trump for sucking up the president of China, Xi Jinping, for being, quote-unquote, 
transparent. And he discussed how Trump waited, waited, waited. And what Biden believes he will do when he wins is he will provide the money to keep businesses, schools open, fund what needs to be done. Now, I like the quote that early on, Biden really tried to play sympathetic. He tried to be one-on-one and very personal with the audience as throughout the debate, he would continue to sort of have these moments where he was just looking into the camera and it seemed like he was trying to communicate directly to the audience. Now, I never noticed Trump ever doing that last night and take it as you want. Um, You know, I guess it's not really that important to some people, and I can understand that. So then Trump comes back and says, if we listen to Biden, it would be a lot worse. Now, that is a claim that, of course, cannot really be proven, but it can also cannot be disproven. Of course, he goes with, you know, it's all China's fault. China, China, China. I guess he never really took full responsibility for the response. Instead, he went on to claim that his response was well, and it has been well documented. And he claimed that the governors said he did a good job with it and discussed how Biden could never have done anything with specifically things like the the ventilators. And he claims that they're weeks away from a vaccine, although the CDC director, Robert Redfield, contradicts that claim. And he continues to contradict other officials and professionals. And he claims that the contradiction is due to Officials and professionals politicizing vaccines. And he claimed that he spoke to Pfizer and companies like Moderna. And he claims that they can go faster with completing the trials for the vaccine. And he full-heartedly disagrees with uh, Robert Redfield. He claimed the claim that in summer of 2021 that the vaccine will finally be widely available in the U.S. He denies that. He claims, although he doesn't really have a have a time span or at least a projection, he at least acknowledges that there's a possibility that the vaccine could be complete by November. Now, that isn't too crazy to think. However, many have criticized how the methods used were rushed. The methods used to create the vaccine was rushed. And there is a fair share of criticism in that aspect, as many vaccines take months or even years to truly develop and be efficient. Now, this claim that 
quote, if you were here, it wouldn't be 200,000 people. It would be 2 million people. You didn't want me to ban China, which was heavily infected. If we would have listened to you, the country would have been left wide open, end quote. This accusation is kind of unsolicited. You know, Biden never really came out against Trump's decision to restrict travel from China. Biden was slow in sort of taking a position on the matter, but when he did decide, he supported the uh, restrictions. However, he never counseled leaving the country quote-unquote wide open. That was not the case. And the idea that Trump banned travel from China is false, kind of. It was more of a restriction. You see, the U.S. restriction that took effect on February 2nd continued to allow travel to the U.S. from Hong Kong and Macau. Not from mainland China, but from Hong Kong and Macau. And there's evidence that suggests around 27,000 Americans returned from mainland China in the first month after the restrictions took effect. U.S. officials lost track of more than 1,600 of them who were supposed to be monitored. And at the same time, dozens of countries took similar steps to to control travel from hotspots. So it isn't something revolutionary, something remarkable, as Trump wholeheartedly claims. And not to mention the fact that the European travel ban didn't, it didn't take into effect about a month and a half later where New York became a hotspot due to traces from Europe. Then he continued to claim that Dr. Anthony Fauci said very strongly that masks are not good. Then he claimed that Fauci changed his mind and then said that the masks were good. Now, I believe he is really skimming the crucial context of what Fauci said in early outbreaks. Trump is telling the story in a way that leaves out the lessons learned during the pandemic because this outbreak was something new and unpredictable. Early on in the outbreak, a number of public health officials urged that people not to use face masks. And that's true, but it wasn't to discredit the the effectiveness of masks, it was that there was a fear of a short supply of personal protective equipment needed for doctors and nurses. That was it. But that completely changed as coronavirus was a lot more contagious than contested, and as well as the fact that it could be spread through tiny droplets breathed into the air by people who may not display any symptoms. And it seems that Fauci, Dr. Robert Redfield, Dr. Stephen Hahn of the Food and Drug Administration, and Dr. Deborah Burks all agree on the importance of wearing masks and practicing social distancing. Redfield has repeatedly said that it is just as effective to wear a mask as taking a vaccine, if not more. 
Now, Trump has been kind of questionable about his support on masks. Although he claims to be a supporter, he has criticized the use of it. Biden wants to implement a... Now, Biden wanted to implement a national mandate on masks. While Trump doesn't agree with it, the question whether it is constitutional or not is up to debate. However, that could be interpreted whichever way you deem is morally correct or follows the Constitution. Biden then claims that scientists were muzzled and suppressed by the administration and that Trump panicked and looked at at a full extent only to the stock market. And he claims that while reopening, Trump does not have a plan, that there's no money from the PPE, sanitation for both businesses and school. Then Biden went out to attack Trump on his campaign rallies, and Trump responded with saying, so far we have had no problem whatsoever, it's outside, that's a big difference according to the experts, we have tremendous crowds, and that is not entirely the case, you see, Trump held an outdoor rally in Tulsa in late June that had both about 3,600 participants in an indoor arena that held 19,000, and he claimed that One million people were going to attend. They even set up an outside stage. However, it turned out that it was entirely a prank by Gen Zers on TikTok. Now, that idea is still unverifiable, but it is clear that Trump did expect a large crowd for Tulsa. The Tulsa City County Health Department director said the rally, quote, likely contributed to a dramatic surge in the new coronavirus cases. By the first week of July, Tulsa County was confirming more than 200 new daily cases, setting record highs. That is more than twice the number the week before the rally. Now, that is only clear for Tulsa. That was indoors. However, for the outdoor events, he Trump has had numerous rallies outdoors he claims to be at airports and whatnot now there i cannot find any sufficient data on traces to the outdoor rallies however it is evident that there's very little social distancing there are very little masks and it seems like they aren't truly implementing a lot of the standards that trump himself set for the nation. And it's also evident that they ignored many of states' limits in gatherings. Then Trump addressed Biden about his response to both the swine flu and H1N1, and he claims that it was a disaster. However, that idea is very distorted. What happened in the pandemic in 2009, which killed far fewer people in the United States than what coronavirus is currently killing. Let's also be clear that since Joe Biden was vice president, he was not tasked to running the federal response. And that response was significantly faster out of the gate than when COVID came to the U.S. Then the CDC surrounded the alarm after two children in California became the first people diagnosed with the flu strain. And this was after two in California. About two weeks later, 
the Obama administration declared a public health emergency against H1N1, which is, you know, obviously known as the swine flu, and the CDC began releasing anti-flu drugs from the national stockpile to help hospitals get ready. In contrast, Trump declared a state of emergency in early March, which was seven weeks after the first U.S. case of COVID-19, and the country's health system struggled for months without sh- with with shortages of critical supplies and testing. And now more than 200,000 people have died from COVID-19. The CDC puts the U.S. death toll from 2009 to 2010 from the H1N1 pandemic of about 12,500. So after discussing about COVID and the Supreme Court nomination, it was now time to discuss the topic of the economy. Now, Trump and Biden have two different perspectives of what recovery looks like. Trump claims he has a V-shaped recovery, while Biden claims he has he's showing a K-shaped recovery. Trump claims that they have a great he had built one of the greatest economies in US history and he claimed that of course the quote unquote china plague ruined it and he claimed that he put 10.4 million people back in the workforce and he claims that shutting down depression would run rapid and he claims that the democrats forcibly want to stay shut down until november after the election. And he claims that people are responsible for themselves and that they can stay conscious of social distancing, wearing masks, etc. And he claims that, quote, COVID shutdowns are almost like being in prison, end quote. And they have, and alcohol consumption has gone up, divorce has gone up. And he claims that the country is coming back at a very great rate and that Joe shouldn't shut down as he suggested is possible if the experts claim that it is necessary to shut down. Now, Biden's stance was, of course, the K-shaped recovery, meaning the millionaires and the billionaires in the top 1% was making more money. And he claims that the tax cuts were evident that the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. He claimed during the pandemic that billionaires made an extra $300 billion. Now, that is actually true, that billionaires made $300 billion during the pandemic. However, much of that money is liquidated, and he claims that Trump only focuses on the market and that the whole picture of what the economy really is is not just the market, that millions of people are still struggling even though the market is dominating. Now, it is true that the stock market is making a recovery. However, he does have a point when he claims that the economy is not entirely the stock market. You know, it involves the GDP. It involves different aspects income, you know, specifics like that. Now, when you look at the actual statistics, one in six small businesses are have vanished. He claims that people want to be safe. 
and that it is up to the government to hold standards in which to keep them above, you know, sinking. And there is some truth to that as well, as the unemployment rate is still higher than what Trump initially had back in 2016. Now, he wants to invest $4 trillion and increase taxes, the tax rate for the upper tax income bracket for people who make more than $400,000. He wants the corporate tax to be raised back up to 28% rather than what, I'm sorry, Trump had it at 21%. He claims that with his recovery plan, he will create 7 million more jobs and $1 trillion to the economy. And he claims that under Trump, manufacturing went in a hole. He claimed that under Obama and Himself, they cl- that they brought back GM and Chrysler, and now GM and Chrysler is gone. They're out of the country. And he claims that we have a larger deficit with China than we ever had in our history. Then comes the fun part. The new revelation about Trump's tax returns. He claimed that it was false. However, at the same time, Trump did say he will find a way to pay less money. He did say that on the stage. And he doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. So with that idea, he claimed that he paid millions upon millions of dollars on taxes. In federal taxes. Plus state taxes, although he refuses to release the tax returns to verify that and claims that he is under audit and that he cannot release it. However, under IRS code, in an audit in an audit situation, there is nothing holding Trump from releasing the tax returns. So if he truly wanted to disprove the claim that he only paid $750 in taxes back in 2016, he could just release his taxes. But so far, he has not. He had, then Trump went on the offensive and attacked Biden for his son Hunter and the money he received, about $3.5 million from the mayor of Moscow. And Biden didn't really have a response to that. He really denied that it was true. And it seemed like Biden did deny a lot of accusations Trump made on the stage, whether they were unsolicited or solicited. And it seemed like he didn't really go into depth in defending his outrageous claim. After that, now the new topic was race and violence. Biden starts with claiming that he decided to run for president after the response to Charlottesville. He claims to be a politician for equality, and he he, he tried to assess things in an outsider perspective, in a perspective that he never had before. And he tried to be very personal 
as I said in the past that he tried, you know, he he looked into the camera and tried to get very personal with people and sympathetic and whatnot. Then he discussed about the peaceful protests in Washington where Trump allowed tear gas to be fired into the protesters. The press was attacked and stood in front of St. John's across the street from the White House and took a photo op with a Bible in his hand. Sort of a symbolic gesture, I suppose. And he criticized him for that, for using the Bible as a prop and for implementing tear gas on peaceful protesters. And he discussed how the bishop of St. John said it was a disgrace. And a general claimed the same thing, although Biden never clarified who that general was. And he claimed, then Biden said, one in 1,000 blacks have been killed by corona, and it's possible that one in 500 could be next. And then he discusses about the existence of systemic racism and injustice in law enforcement. And although he does back and say vast majority of law enforcement are good people and some are bad apples, and he believes that they need, the bad apples need to be held accountable. And one thing that kind of stood, stood out to me was that he want, he claims that he wants to call a group of people with both civil rights activists and police chiefs and to unify and sort of discuss because it seems that we're very polarized at that topic. Trump, on the other hand, came back with a rebuttal that he had done more than any president for blacks other than Abraham Lincoln, which is totally outrageous and insane, may I say. I mean, we don't really hold accountable for people like Lyndon Johnson or Eisenhower or even someone like U.S. Grant or Harry Truman, who really had a deep, impactful legislation and rule for African Americans in the U.S. and their impact that they have to this day. I don't think people 25 years plus from now will be discussing about Trump's impact with African Americans in a good light. Let's just say that now. And anyway, so Trump claimed, you know, that he freed people from prisons, that he had instant prison reforms, which I do say he did implement those, and I give him credit for that. Then he attacked Joe Biden on his support, his avid support for the 1994 crime bill. Now, Joe Biden did have a strong support and urge for the implementation of the crime bill. However, it was a bipartisan decision and it was supported by both civil rights activists as well. So, nobody really saw the negative aspects that would come out of the crime bill. And it wasn't until modern day that we really feel the remnants of that impact. Where we have many African Americans to this day 
living fatherless, and maintaining status of poverty. Now, Trump then backs up with law enforcement support, and he claimed that Portland's police chief supported him, and he did tweet during the debate, Sheriff Mike Reese, quote, In tonight's presidential debate, the president said Portland Sheriff supports him as the Multnomah County Sheriff. I have never supported Donald Trump and will never support him, end quote. Then Trump has a pretty solid attack on Joe Biden. He asked him to just name any law enforcement agency that supports him. And Biden was unable to claim that, and he was kind of backtracking on doing so. He then discussed how the top 10 and top 40 worst crime cities is ran by Democrats. Although that number isn't perfect, it is relatively accurate that a majority, a large majority of the crime city capitals of the U.S. are Democratic. However, that does not attribute to the fact that both Democrat-run cities and Republican-run cities have an increased rate of crime relative to the summer. Now, of course, it's the Democrat-run cities that are more popular because a majority, a large majority of major cities in the U.S. are ran by Democrats. And he claims that people really want law and order. And then Chris Wallace asked Trump about why he ended racial sensitivity training. And Trump said, quote, I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical revolution that was taking place in our military and our schools all over the place. You know it, and so does everyone else, end quote. Now, racial sensitivity training has been a topic of discussion, as well as things like the 1619 Project, which have a completely different perspective of U.S. history. And it sort of takes a big look at racism in the U.S. Now, the idea of racial sensitivity training is... Really, it's aimed at creating inclusive workplaces for women and people of color who can often be made to feel marginal in a majority white male workplace. And now many American businesses now require and federal agencies have used such training to create work environments that feel safe. Trump banned the training of federal workers and contractors this month, characterizing it as, quote, efforts to indoctrinate government employees with divisive and harmful sex and race-based ideologies, adding, Americans should be taught to take pride in our great country, and if you don't, there's nothing in it for you, end quote. Historians, advocates for racial justice, and racial sensitivity trainers decry the move as dangerous, saying he is, quote, whitewashing racism in America's history and present and worried it would move the country backwards on the issues of equity. And the idea that the training is anti-American is really misrepresentative. 
The training is designed to really help people understand and work better across cultures, to help people to create a culture of psychological safety and belonging. So people can bring that to their can bring their best to work instead of worrying about everything else, about putting a label and whatnot. When people with diverse backgrounds, diverse learning styles come together, it leads to better problem-solving, more innovation. Then when Trump was asked to denounce white supremacists, after a litany of members of his own party urged him to be more clearly in condemning the right-wing group known as the Proud Boys, and he claimed he told them to, quote, stand back and stand by. Then when he was asked by reporters today, he claimed, quote, I don't know who the Proud Boys are. You'll have to give me a definition. He added, whoever they are, they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work. Now, many people took that as what they think it is. Now, you can take it as what you think it is. However, he still did not clearly condemn and clarify his position to clearly condemn white supremacy, and yet he had failed to do so in the stage and primetime and the limelight. Shortly before the president spoke, Mitch McConnell avoided directly criticizing the president's handling on the issue, but McConnell made it clear for his part that he was calling out white supremacy. Then, African-American South Carolina GOP Senator Tim Scott said, quote, it was unacceptable not to condemn white supremacy, so I do so in the strongest possible way. Sorry, I meant to say Mitch McConnell said that about Mr. Scott's position. Scott is... For context, he is the only black Republican in the Senate, and he was asked by reporters about what Trump said about that. Scott said he thinks he misspoke. He thinks he should correct it. If he doesn't correct it, I guess he didn't misspeak, end quote. Now, like I said, you can take that as you wish. And now we'll move on to... The integrity of the election. 